How are you? <laughs> I just immediately. <laughs> okay. I know, right? I was like, well, what's that about? Like, yo, they don't want to hear what I have to say. You know what? Fine. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'll do it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's like, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, now that we're doing like the 52 weeks, mm-hmm. it's like I live for like, I've always lived for Tuesdays, but it's just like, it's just a whole different type of vibe for mm-hmm. Tuesdays that I'm really, really excited for. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of legit. I feel like my Tuesdays feel like Fridays now. Oh, because it, it's yeah. a different, it's a different energy. Once Tuesday's over, Wednesday is a different type of day for me. So or like the rest of the week it, it move into a different like creative space and it's just different you know but tuesday is that line of demarcation like right when we go off live and it's dinner mm-hmm. time it's a different vibe <laughs> okay hey i got a secret to tell you you mean to tell me and like, the cousins <laughs> and the cousins like i got a secret to tell y'all but you know what first things first we're gonna have to do it straight after this intro by the way cue that intro for us please What's up, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things galactic. Give it up for none other than the wonderful... It's Jill NGC, in the place to be. What does it, cousins, on this fine Tuesday evening? Yes, it is. And welcome to Executive Education, a show here on the Come Up Series where we are challenged here to give you nothing but 52 weeks of just pure knowledge, pure game, pure everything. The things in which that you would probably... well, that you would strive to normally achieve in college and have to spend exorbitant amounts of money, we give it to you nothing but for the free 99, thanks to the ancestors that have walked this earth before us and that are still alive, that we celebrate them every day, not only just on Black History Month, but also the other uh, 11 months that take place through a 365 or 366 uh, day leap year. So, uh, Jolynn, whew! Yes. We got a lot to get into today. We do. I'm excited. <laughs> but I do have a secret to tell you and all the cousins. Here's the funny thing about me. Okay. When it comes to like meetings and everything else, mm-hmm. I don't literally schedule meetings. I don't. Um, I just like, so when people are like, hey, how can I get on your schedule? It's like, hey, just call me or whatever it is. Like, or I actually have like, a schedule. <laughs> so, I'm going to need you to be there on time and show up. Oh, I'm always on time. I'm always on time. But, but it's just like, I just don't sketch. No. I'm just I'm just so leisurely that I just, you know, you know oh, hey, <laughs> you tell me what's good for your schedule. <laughs> I'm a man without time, you know, so. Hey, hey, you know what time it is. All right. So uh, first things first, go ahead and hit the like button and the subscribe button because, you know, there's a ton of content you know, within the Come Up Series platform, not only just from myself and Jolynn, but there's also other content creators. Like, for example, we got Mark and Mo for Money Market Truths. We also got Brother Lawrence coming through with the heat on Monday Night Take, and he does a phenomenal job. If you missed last night's episode, 
then you missed a straight up banger because it was amazing. Um, and shout out to our cousins that are on the way, well, that are listening to us uh, this evening from LinkedIn. Uh, shout out to all the professionals. We know that you're all professionals, but you know, there's a certain set of folks that are watching from the professional network, AKA LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, there's a lot and there's more to come. Like for example, we could be seeing brother Christopher Bush uh, making an appearance uh, very I soon with none brother. other than uh, a tax accountant or tax strategist by the name of Abby. So that should be pretty interesting. Um, and then on top of that, we also got brother Brian that's coming through with the smoke also very, very soon um, for his show, AKA Startup Noir. So you never know what else is gonna be coming through those doors. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but anyways, we got a show to get into today because there's a lot of learning and I get these questions a lot as it pertains to from investors or just startup entrepreneurs. It's pretty much everybody. When somebody has an idea or when somebody's looking at investing in a company, and they're looking at their thesis, you know, this really plays into all different types of facets. So I hope each and every single one of you have your pen and paper ready. Yes. Uh, we're going to try to keep it light, but uh, you know how we do here at the Come Up Series. So, and shout out to the people who had their bell on. Like, for example, I think it was, Charles. Uh, I, I think it was Uncle Charles, what? you know, talking about <laughs> less being on time for class. All right. We see you. And on top of that. So he also said, uh, happy Valentine's Day to the real lady of leisure. Thank so, you, Uncle Charles. Hey, you got you got telegrams all the way to Leisureton. So I want to be like you when I grow up. Um, yeah, we're not on strike. <laughs> we're happily, okay. just, you know, doing them. Okay. All right. So should we cue it? Should we cue the presentation for, for now? Let's just make them wait a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, let's go. It's like I got a few seconds. Like Maybe I can polish my my shady side up glasses and you know get ready. oh my gosh do not put your glass frames on you need like an actual cloth oh i oh i definitely didn't touch my my sweater that's not happening okay <laughs> that's an absolutely okay. not <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and cue this wonderful uh presentation let's load it up for us all right wow we got some wonderful uh <laughs> leisure tea, leisurely cousins on the screen uh so today You're we're going to so talk horrible. all about product market fit Jolyn. So it should be very, mm -hmm. very interesting, like very interesting. So like I said, I get this question a lot. Like, I don't know like how many times I get asked this question mm -hmm. about a, a person's startup or about their, about their product or about like even a company that they're interested in investing into on the publicly traded market. And also looking at companies that have existed for X amount of time versus, you know, what does the market look like today? And then we're not just talking about the stock market. We're actually talking about just the overall market. Mm -hmm. or not they can actually do business and does their product or service fit. So this is a great way for people to understand and like literally dissect this evening to like literally look at it. So um, let's let's get to it, shall we? Yeah. All right. So we're going to go through a few things, a few basics. Uh, so these are our subjects for today in our executive summary. Uh, and so, you know, bear with us. We got a simple introduction, which I just went through. So good job. <laughs> sad. Uh, and then of course we're going to get into things like market research, uh, target customers, uh, product development, measuring success and iteration and scale. So mm -hmm. those are like these things, excluding introduction are going to be really the key pillars as it pertains to understanding product market fit. So please bear with us as we move through this process. So um, let's go. All right. So 
first things first, when we look at product market fit, right? So when we look at product market fit, um, and of course, for those in whom wish that listen via Spotify and Apple Music, shameless plug, um, product market fit is the process of creating a product that effectively meets the needs and wants of the target market. So finding a product market fit is very crucial uh, to the success of a business um, as it increases the chances of customer acquisition on one side and retention on the other side. And it ultimately drives revenue growth. So without those things, like we tend to see it a lot. Like, for example, like a product that like may sound really, really cool, but it just doesn't Mm -hmm. end Um, or it does. It's not sticky enough. And we kind of talked about that yesterday, last week in business models uh, course where we're talking about making your business sticky or if the business is actually sticky enough, then essentially it's it shows evidence of a strong product market fit. And so when we look at companies that fail to find product market fit, they tend to struggle to attract and retain customers, leading to a decrease in revenue and potential profits. So, and that's literally a fiesta del failure, and that's not what we want. So when you look at companies like today, Mm -hmm. you look at companies today that are literally within the space, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if we look at the chip sector, you know, there's a ton of chip companies. There's There's a lot of the things in which that they're doing, but look at what's happening with Intel. You know, they're starting to lose market share because of the fact of what they've done strategically wise they're probably not as much a product market fit. And also part of it's also due to leadership as well. Like, well, it's it's the leadership and also they did not, they weren't quick enough on their pivot. Bingo. And we're going to get into that a little bit when we start talking about iterations and scale. But I mean, just to think about it, like, so I want to, I want to ask everybody in the room a question. Name, either name a company that doesn't have a very strong product market fit or that you think that doesn't have a strong product market fit or a company that you think that has a strong product market fit. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister. That is. I'm looking in the comments right now, waiting for the stream to catch up. Well, you know what company, (laughs) I'll just start with one. You know what company comes to mind for, well, it's like a combination of not having a brand identity or being a little Mm. bit confused and mm-hmm. product market fit and that is macy's mm. macy's is so confused about their brand they are confused about who their target customer is like they're all over yes. the place and you can just tell by when you go into the actual store it's, mm-hmm. and it's not even about the layout they just don't know where they fit on the grand scheme of all these department stores you know they're just yeah. confused when they were the bon marche in seattle Mm-hmm. They should have stayed as the Bon Marche because that had a very distinct, even nostalgic um, identity. But then they moved to, they changed their name to Macy's because that was like under their federated, um, I forgot what it was called, but all their stores all together. And they yep. changed to Macy's. That's the Macy's brand does not fit on on the West Coast. It just doesn't. So no. And you're starting to see that across a lot of other retail stores. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, one of the companies that rings to mind also is JCPenney. Like, think about how many times JCPenney mm-hmm. has had to go through and like literally say, OK, hey, we're going to change the inside of our stores to look more like this or switch it up to look more like this. Mm. And it's like each, each time they're having to consistently change, which really makes you ask the question. Has the customer moved on where it's like they don't really need them anymore or it's like they're not as relevant within the sphere anymore? Or is it the fact that essentially that just what they're doing, either they're too little too late or the fact that they just clearly just don't fit the market? 
And well, those are the questions. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, with JCPenney's, like they at least tried to have um, something that like Nordstrom's and uh, Target are really good at is having a store within a store. So they tried mm -hmm. to do that with, um, what was it, Sephora inside mm -hmm. of the JCPenney's, which actually brought a new um, Target uh, customer segment in, but it didn't have the staying power because it's like you could just go to the standalone uh, the standalone support. Why would you need to go into JCPenney? Like you're not going to buy anything else. So, but yeah, oh, I'm seeing some companies. Mm. I was going to say, how, how about the company that just popped up on our screen? How about Bed Bath and Beyond? Yes. Well, okay. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Bed Bath and Beyond because they're okay. So besides like the layout and all the stuff that they had in their store, yes. besides that, like I feel like the main reason, the main draw for Bed Bath and Beyond was their coupons that you would see either digitally or in the paper, right? Like you would just do like a product search. You might not, but this is what I'm thinking about. Um, and if you had the coupon and it was cheaper there, then you would go there, but there wasn't another draw to have. Mm. And then when you go in there, like there's so much stuff. And if mm. your target market is older, that's not gonna work. And if your target market is younger, the pricing is all wrong, you know? And so, it's like, who who is their target? I can't even tell you. I'm not even sure. But I used to think of them for like college, like college dorm life. And then Ikea stepped mm -hmm. in. So, I mean, what's better than Amazon? <laughs> hey, what are they supposed to do? And you already know Target got it unlocked. So, <sighs> yeah, they, they definitely have it unlocked. They like Target knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were like, you know, hey, like this is it. Like <laughs> no place else to go. And you know, an interesting thing that I always tell people is, is that when you get to a place of looking at like product market fit, an easy way, you want to know the easiest way to look at it, mm -hmm. or the easiest way to like to determine whether or not somebody has strong product market fit yeah. is if you start talking about the company and if a person asks like, what is it that they do or what is it that they sell? Mm. <laughs> that's a, that's a sign. That's a huge sign. Like, for example, I was as you were talking about Bed and Bath and Beyond, I was like, I was going to ask you, like, what mm -hmm. do they sell? Beds, baths, and beyond. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> let's, 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 they sell let's like everything. Presentation. Let's, <laughs> let's go back into it. So you want to know a company that actually has a strong product market fit, Jolyn? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. What about this I agree. Company? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's take a look at Airbnb, shall we? So yeah. you, their slogan today is, you know, you see a you see a house is just a space, but a home is where you belong. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever to me, but you know, I I get it. Like, you know, I understand it. So the company started as a platform to connect people who had extra space in their home. So kind of like Couchsurfing.com back mm -hmm. in those days, and yeah. then it's like, okay, hey, Airbnb said, you know what, we could do a little bit better than that. And so the tr with travelers looking for affordable accommodations, because this was back when, you know, people would stay on people's couches, stay in like small rooms, extra rooms. And then that was literally a thing. And then now it turned into people wanting to just like stay in the and stay in your entire house, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, cool. Interesting. Um, over time, Airbnb evolved to meet the changing needs of the market and now offers a wide range, a wide range of travel experiences and, and accommodations. So they went from going from accommodations and seeing that, hey, we're doing a great job here. We have a bunch of people who would normally travel to a city. They're now living within the city, living within the locals of the city. Mm -hmm. You know, but then they started listening to like what were the other things? Well, if you're going to travel to a city, 
then nine times out of 10, you're going to also want to say, for example, you know, go see some of the sites, go do some of the attractions that are within the city. So what did they do? They started adding those functions and features into the platform. Now, has it fully taken off? Probably not due to the fact that we just went through a pandemic. So that probably slowed it down. But I think that as travel picks back up, I think that they're doing a good job there. And then they notice the same thing for, let's say, you know, the the renters, the, the owners of such of such places. They brought in services for like cleaning and turndown services into their business. So mm-hmm. which, you know, ultimately you're making the business more and more sticky. I'm probably sure that they're going to probably get into property management, like they give you the whole kit and caboodle where oh, it's just like, OK, you just pay that. a subscription service. So again, it's like the way that we look at product market fits are kind of like where they start to become like the duh items of a Mm -hmm. business where it's just like, if you sit back and say, okay, I get it. Or it's like, that just makes uber common sense of why they go down that pathway. Then that's how you know that they found themselves a strong product market fit. Well, Mark, so for the, um, it's like they, it's like they let the market tell them what the product should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Like for what I really appreciate about Airbnb and like actually paying attention to what the market is asking for the experiences. So when you get the experience, there's different kinds you can get. Like you can do like the standard tradition or traditional like touristy things, but they also have um, curated experiences that are led by locals. So now you get a more authentic, Mm -hmm. you know, perspective. Um, One of my really good friends, happen to have several different um, Airbnb experiences in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference in her trip. Nice. Nice, And they're still friends. She's still friends with them. I mean, I mean, that's the, that's, that's good business right there. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's get into it a little bit, right? Shall we, Jalen? So let's talk about it because you kind of hit upon a point where it talked about understanding the market. Like when you listen to things and you pay attention to those things, then you start to see the reward of those things. So like, for example, you know, before launching a product, it's crucial to understand the target market and gather information about their needs, preferences, and habits. So if I'm going to, let's say, create, let's say I create a sports app. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to create a sports app and I don't know, like, okay, hey, I haven't like looked at like, okay, hey, I'm just going to just literally legit create a sports app because I just think it's cool. Nine times, the, the chances of that being successful is probably (laughs) very, very high. But if I'm paying attention to athletes in the sense that, okay, hey, you know, these are their, these are their pain points. These are the issues in which that they're going through. And these are major hurdles and barriers that are created. But if I could create something that literally bridges the gap and removes the barrier for such things to happen, then the chances that my product or my service will have strong success now gets even higher. Now, when I even start at like start studying their preferences and start understanding the habits as it pertains to what is it that people have to do, that's huge. So this information can be used to inform product development and increase like the chances of that success. Um, but there are several, like I said, there are several methods of gathering this. So for example, one of the things that you could do to gather the information is of course, market research. You know mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the very basics where it's like, And we talked about this last week where we said exploring the business when you're exploring a business model, you start looking at segmentation and all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's huge. Um, And then on top of that, where we start looking at surveys, like asking your prospective customers about their pain points and their issues. And honestly, would they, you know, would they feel comfortable paying or or utilizing a service, having focus groups of folks in whom much that are highly interested, that have a high vested interest 
to not for your company, but to actually want to see this issue absolved because it probably helps their business or what is it that they do in their day to day. And also looking at competitor analysis, like what is it that the current competition is doing? Are they doing things that are very successful or what they're doing right now is kind of like poop. Um, this information can be used to understand, of course, your target market and also identify the gaps in the market that the product or service could fill. And that's something in which that if you look at like, okay, I'll bring it into publicly traded markets places, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So if GM, Ford, Stellantis, and BMW and Mercedes, uh, and we'll even throw in Jaguar before, you know, the, right. <laughs> that show got canceled. Um, <laughs> if we were looking at this and if they all had electric vehicles, would Tesla exist? Not if they, well, if they did it first, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be Tesla because the demand would have been already filled. And it's like Tesla came in, they got there first Okay. in the sense that they had, you know, they had a really good business model when you think about like how they came in and took all the business or all the market share. But no, I don't think that it would exist unless Tesla was coming in with a brand new something that changed. Because completely. look at the whole, look at the entire spectrum and we're going to get into mm -hmm. a case study of Tesla possibly in this one. Um, but let's look at it a little bit further. Okay. You have, you know, the everyday car manufacturers, mm -hmm. then you have your luxury mm -hmm. and then you have your, I guess you have your cheaper ones that are the more economical. So if all three of those tiers were literally in the EV space before Tesla came about, would Tesla exist? I want everybody to like, if you can, if you're in the chat, like go ahead and answer <laughs> yes or no. Um, I wish we could run a poll on that today, but we'll, we'll do that another day. Next time, next time. All Wait, right, we have so, that, right? Yeah, we have it. Okay. Um, but let's look at, let's, let's break it down a little bit. Cause okay. you know, there's some pieces here, you know, there's some pieces here for, for folks to pay attention to. And I hope people are picking up the Easter eggs that they're seeing, uh, in this, you know, in today's show, but you know, we'll see. All right. So let's just do a quick breakdown. So the market needs is broken into market needs, what the market prefers, and then also Who's the competition? All right. So just remember that when you start thinking about product market fit, what does the market need? What does the market prefer? And then on top of that, what is the competition? So let's let's look at market needs first. Okay. So the market needs when a product idea is born, the simple question is asked, is this problem in the market that others need a solution for? So really like. Do I really, really need this or is this just a small pet peeve or is it something that's very much so valuable that it will significantly add change? OK, then we go into the next thing where we look at the what does the market prefer? If the if their value, if there's value in people buying it and transition or do they prefer do they prefer to exist without making the switch? So let's make it simple. So is there enough value for people to want to utilize the product or service or is it not enough or is it just, like I said, is it just only a pet peeve, but then they'll still just complain about it, but they're, they're going to just keep doing their thing because of the fact that they don't want to pay for another service. Hmm. And you see this happen a lot of times when you look at like, say, for example, streaming services, mm -hmm. you know, the streaming wars that got heated up, like think about all the providers out there that try to go into this whole space of trying to create a streaming service for their network, which when you really think about it is like some people just don't deserve to do, they just shouldn't do that because maybe their library isn't that deep or maybe their platform just isn't enough. And, or maybe you just can't justify, you know, charging people $7 and 99 cents when they're already being charged X amount for all these other services. And when you think about what that like builds up to, <laughs> I may as well just like cut my losses here and just maybe go sign up for this other service. 
uh, or just stick to the services that I already have. And then when we look at market competition, we're rivalries of existing companies, services, or products that live within a specific market. So they already exist out there. So mm-hmm. like if I wanted to go out there and create another chip company today to go compete against the AMDs, the Intels, and the NVIDIAs of the world, <laughs> one, I'd have to look at it like this. Does the market need another mm-hmm. chip company to step mm-hmm. in this space? Or does it prefer to stay with the existing players out there that have been proven and battle tested and everything else. And then on top of that is the competition so stiff that honestly, just one punch from them knocks me out. (laughs) Those are the types of things that we look at. So, you know, there are several methods for gathering, like, again, that type of information and to like get a clear understanding. But I mean, again, that's really where we look at it from the standpoint of, again, what does the market need? What does it prefer? Or, you know, what does it prefer or want? And then on top of that, what does the current competition look like? All right. So remember how we were just talking about Tesla? Yes. Okay. So let's, let's, let's get back to them because, you know, I think that, you know, when we think about understanding the market, I think that you have to look no further as it pertains to like literally Tesla understanding the market. They saw that there was a huge necessary need mm-hmm. for an, a, a different type of player within the space. And think about it. They could have easily made e- their EV in the same light as, you know, pretty much, you know, they could have they could have made it in the same light of like a Toyota and everything else. But what did they do? They said, OK, hey, we're going to make high performance vehicles that go really, really fast, but are very, very sustainable. Why? Because marketing to people and be like, okay, hey, we're selling you a sustainable car. Yeah, that's not sexy. You're just like. (laughs) It's like, bro, man, ask me if I care. Go ahead. Ask me if I care. Um, And so what did they do? They literally sold people on the performance of the car. So Mm -hmm. the car, the car is zero to 60. And notice what happened. Every single car manufacturer out there wanted to literally focus on, hey, can we beat Tesla's zero to 60? You know, we're going to get into this in a little bit with another company that's, you know, very, very interesting. But, uh, you know, it's when we look at that, it's like, okay, hey, they saw a huge market as it pertains to folks, you know, that that like to drive fast cars. Mm -hmm. But it's like now they you give them a reason to drive fast cars. And now it's like the, the piggyback to that is the vehicles are sustainable and they give you zero emissions. And on top of that, they save the planet and all this other stuff. You know, and that's like the undertone to it. But the, the the megatone to it is, you know, you literally have a vehicle that literally goes from zero to 60 in whatever second. So, again, I don't what the seconds are. Well, all I know I mean, is that Virgin on the highway is hella fun. That's all I, I know. <laughs> it's always funny when you run into people that like literally want to race you and it's like, bro, don't do this to yourself. It's not it's it's, it's you're not going to win. Trust me, amigo, you won't make it. <laughs> All right. So apparently, apparently my studio is like, okay, hey, Mark, what's going on here? All right. So let's get into the part of like defining the target market. So or defining your target customer, you know, mm-hmm. really in simplest terms, you know, defining your target customer is just simply knowing your customer is like knowing who you're making the product for. Mm. So like whenever like people come and ask me like, you know, hey, Mark, I'm looking at building this product or I'm looking at providing this service or here's my startup. Or even when you look at publicly traded companies, right, mm-hmm. when you look at any company out there and it's like when you see that they're struggling, like, for example, if you look at Snapchat, like who do they make their product for? Like who is really who is their target customer? 
I, I thought it was Gen Z, but Gen Z's over on the clock. Yeah. So I don't even know. I don't, I'm not. I have a Snapchat, but I I don't think I've ever. I have it. a Snapchat too, but I don't use it. So I mean, I realized very quickly this isn't for me. This isn't like like I understand the gist of it and everything else, but I feel like I just didn't feel the the necessary value prop behind it for me mm-hmm. to use utilize it on a day over day after day basis. You know, now when you look at say for example. Who is like if we look at okay, let's let's think about some other company, shall we? Let's yeah. throw out a company. Let's let's throw out another company. Um, how about I'm trying to think of one that we haven't talked about. Um, okay, what about 3M? Minnesota Mineral Mining. Okay. So we know it's not for your average consumer. <laughs> How do we know know, that? Well, look at one of the things that we look at. And if you go back to the last week's episode was Mm -hmm. pay attention to the business model Mm -hmm. where a company focuses its business model, lets you know exactly who their customer is. Now, of course, they make Mm -hmm. 3M products Mm -hmm. for the general consumer, Mm -hmm. but that's not the major portion of where their revenue comes from. Majority of their revenue comes from enterprise based clients. So like whether it's folks in construction management or general contracting and those types of things. Mm-hmm. You know, those could be heavier, you know, c- customers that are more sustainable than going with like than having, you know, your business at the mercy of a consumer that is ever changing and is not always going to be using your products every day. Now, so, let's, go ahead. Now I was going to say uh, I got over 3M that fast. OK, so let's talk about um, companies that are going through. That, that you can, that it's obvious that they're going through this kind of like part, uh, product market fit, right? So yeah. the company that comes to mind is Coach. <laughs> so yeah. if you've noticed, they're now trying yeah. to appeal. <laughs> rebrand? Yeah, they're doing a rebrand, but they're also trying to appeal to a certain target demographic because there was a period mm-hmm. of time where, you know, like, I think when I was in law school, especially in the Midwest, like you, like it was like a coach purse and your hair wrapped, like you had to have your hair wrapped like Aaliyah and have a coach purse, right? Like that was like a thing. But after that, all those people that were wearing that, they like graduated to a higher brand of luxury and left coach in the dust because they, their designs weren't relevant. But now I look at someone who's in my uh, sister's demographic. She's younger than me. She's like a younger millennial. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's the puffy coach purse or the heart shape one or like whatever. Like they've done that redesign. They're trying to fit like, OK, who's my market? And they're actually seeing a sales increase because of that rebrand and that. Correct. Fitting. Correct. Yeah. And so when we think about defining your target customer. You know, the process of identifying and understanding the specific group of people for whom the product is designed for. Like that's that's literally it. So if you know those things, when you can define your target customer and that's the thing for everybody that's sitting in this room right now, whether you're an investor or you're a startup. So if you're an entrepreneur, here's your homework. If you're an entrepreneur or if you're an aspiring entrepreneur with an idea, think about first, who is your target customer? Like, you know, can you literally tell us or tell anybody who they are specifically, you know, a lot of times people try to hit these broad strokes and try to hit it from a generational perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's like over 126 millennials in the mark in the market, but not every single one of them are going to hit your, your target. So who specifically, and that's when you have to start getting even closer into the weeds of who specifically is your, is your specific target customer. 
Whoa. because then it's like it gives definition of who is it that you're getting ready to be selling to and it makes it a lot easier versus you just trying to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks right and it's also about you know customer intimacy like having that intimate knowledge of um you know okay is your target customer the one that you're trying to target are they what kind of car are they going to drive what do they read you know if they're going to take a flight what airline are they flying you know like are they going to purchase a first uh, class ticket or are they going to go for an economy ticket you know like you got to think about all those different things because as you niche down it it does make a difference in how like your um, brand tone everything but mark another thing mm -hmm. that's really cool about knowing your target like all those specifics like if they drink mm -hmm. a, green, a green smoothie on a tuesday like getting that granular also will help when you are then um, when you have an ad budget, because now you can yep. target for those key behaviors and like all those different um, characteristics. Yep. And Andre said it best, like literally what social say. facet do they belong to? Mm, OK, Andre, with the words we see you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and Uncle Charles said it right there. Like, this is where folks who are product managers, this is why they get paid the big bucks to do it. Mm. But you kind of like you kind of like went into something pretty interesting there, Jolyn, in the presentation where we started looking at like things like personas. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, let's go through it. Like okay. it's broken down into a few things like importance of defining the target customer. So mm -hmm. pretty much the importance behind that is understanding the target customer is crucial, crucial for creating a product that meets their needs and wants, not what you want it to be, but more so in the sense of what is it that they want? What is it that they need? Uh, creating buyer personas. So a buyer persona is a fictional uh, present representation of a target customer based on data and research. And that was what JoLynn had just broken down. When you start looking at the intimacies and also like their persona, like when you start, when you can kind of like create a story for like, okay, hey, you know, this is what you're like, this is who your customer is. Like, so your customer uses this, your product or your service to do this. Um, so for example, you know, Apple sells high quality uh, products to a customer that doesn't, that isn't looking to have to consistently replace products or that isn't looking to have to consistently follow up with customer service and everything else. When they buy an Apple product, as soon as they take it out of the box, they expect it to work and they expect it to provide instantaneous long-term value to whatever it is that they do and that's literally like been part of the brand and and a part of having that is you're going to pay a high price premium for that um and so when we look at the user using buying uh buyer personas to tailor the product understanding the target customer through buyer personas uh companies can tailor the product to meet the customer's needs and preferences increasing the chances of success now what's the other side of that impact right you know, the impact can be very, very heavy because the failure to define equals poor sales and decrease in revenue or essentially your business just never takes off the ground. So when you start seeing companies that have that have hit a certain level of success mm -hmm. and that have been doing that have been doing things very well for so long. But then when the market starts to change, but yet they just stay stagnant, talking about, well, the market will come back, but then the market doesn't come back. OK, that's a problem. That's very mm -hmm. much so a problem. I do want to leads us. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to point out that. We are talking specifically about product market fit. Um, mm -hmm. And that's not to be like confused with, you know, a company's um, identity brand and their distinct competencies. Cause if you're, you know, starting a business, you would start there first and then yep. think about the market. But so I just want to make sure that that's clear. 
Yep. All right. So let's move to product development because that's the next phase. So once you kind of like understand these things, like mm -hmm. as, as it pertains to being able to put together the personas and everything else, then you start to go through, it's like, kind of like if you want to build your own home, right? If you want to build your own home from scratch, you're not just going to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go do this. And then all of a sudden, just by magic, the house just like builds up on its own, like you're playing the Sims or something. Um, that's not how it works. So normally you would get an idea as it pertains to what kind of neighborhood you would want to live in, you know, and that comes with, you know, market data or whatever it is. Like, you know, a lot of times realtors look at like things like comps and then from there it's like, okay, Hey, you go and sit down and talk to an architect. And then that architect literally puts together things. So that's really the ideation phase. This is really, when we think about product development, it's broken into really three different phases. It's, it's written into ideation, prototyping, and then testing. So you know, forever testing and forever prototyping and tons of ideas that always uh, inflow. And, I'll, and I'll, when we go later in the presentation, you'll see how that fits. But it's pretty much the process of creating and refining a product from ideation to launch. And it's just a consistent cycle of doing that over and over. Okay, so when we look at product development, it's like building a puzzle with a target market. Like that's, that's literally it. Like when we think about product, so... You know, when you think about ideation, that's the design. When you think about the prototyping, that's literally design and, and you know, build the engineering coming in together. And then when we think about testing, all that's been done and now you're just getting it, to, you're getting feedback. Mm -hmm. So pretty much things to keep in mind though. It's important to involve the target customer in the development process uh, to ensure that the product meets their needs and preferences. You know, it's a consistent cycle, like I said, a feedback loop. Then testing the product with a target market and iterating based on feedback is crucial for improving the product and increasing its chances of success. So if you think about like, think back to the time when we looked at like when the first iPhone came out, when Steve Jobs first went on stage and unveiled the first ever iPhone, you know, it was groundbreaking. Like it was literally like beyond this world. And then look at after every single iteration of that phone, like if you look at, I think it was the iPhone 3GS or whatever it was, and then going into iPhone 4, it was a distinct product difference between the two models. But as you can see, the iterations. And then as you get to a place in which that you've refined so well, like that that process starts to slow down, mm. um, which we started to see now over the time with Apple, where we're now talking about things like the camera, like the camera is better in this build and everything else. Mm -hmm. A few small little subset of features, like we may have upgraded the chip to make it, you know, 17% faster than what it was before. You know, and it's like, can a person really feel that? Yeah, maybe when you first get the phone, but then load all those like, you know, apps on your phone, then, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay. Um, so, which leads us into the next thing, right? Because when we think about like, you know, the, the impact, like, you know, all of these things, when you look at it from a standpoint of product market fit, it, without it, it literally will turn into literally loss of revenue or loss of customer market share. And ultimately pretty much business could close. And we're going to get into that in a second. I mean, that's really, really where it boils down to if we just keep it simple. Um, so let's look at the idea of measuring success. Now, we talked about key performance indicators, but Jolyn, do you want to take this one? I can. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, my eyes are like watering because I have all these allergies. All right. So first of all, let's take a moment, pause and look at this precious, precious photo <laughs> right here. <laughs> Let's just take a moment and focus. Should on we? Should we? Should we let the cat out of the bag real quick on this one? Oh yeah, definitely. Go ahead. So, if you've been paying attention throughout the entire show, and so far, 
every single image that you've seen has literally been created by AI, including the image that we had just shown on the screen. Let's pull that back up. Mm -hmm. This image was put together by AI. So AI literally drew this up and literally put it in and literally processed it on its own wait. and literally created image. Go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. Because first of all, like, I think you're being a little too humble. Um, but y'all thought I was the artist. Mark is out here on his graphic design. Um, he did all <laughs> these images. Okay. Like every single slide, he did all those images, y'all. So it's just really remar remarkable um, how AI can take your ideas and make them come to life. Um, but we're not talking about AI right now. However, <clears throat> we're no, the, there's one more thing. There's one more thing real quick. What else? They're, if they've been paying attention also, mm -hmm. then some of the things that they should have seen also mm -hmm. is some of the new things that are coming out from the Come Up Series new product lineup. Oh, yeah, that's major. So yeah, that's major. Yeah. Okay, so now when it comes to measuring success, so for those of you that are on an audio um, platform like Spotify, listening in, measuring success in the process, or excuse me, is the process of tracking key metrics to determine if the product is meeting customer needs and making a positive impact on the business. So if you're looking at this slide, um, you see that there's a breakdown of customer satisfaction, usage, and revenue. And um, you'll see these different categories like tracking your metrics, customer needs, marketing dollars and scaling. So yep. this is like when you're Should we break it down. Yeah. Like when you're baking a cake, you know, yep. like checking the temperature um, to make sure to see if the cake is ready. So, OK, let's talk about the tracking of the metric. So when we're tracking the metric okay. that helps to make informed decisions about the product and determine um, if it is meeting the customer needs and making a positive impact on the business. Now, what's really interesting about this, and I've said I think I said this last week, as you can tell, all of this is about decision making It's data decisions, data decisions. What's the data telling us we should make a decision about? Right. So now we're using the data from these metrics to inform the decisions about the product market um, or product development in the market and scaling, those are the things that really inform what types of moves you should make. Like, is it time to even scale? It might not be time yet based on the data that you have. And then when it comes to measuring impact, this is where companies that fail to measure their success, you know, they'll make that decision about the product based on assumptions rather than the data and that you cannot do that. Um, because that's going to lead to poor outcomes and a decrease in revenue. And, you know, this is not just, you know, nothing to sneeze at. We're not talking about, you know, oh, that was a couple of hundred dollars missed out or, you know, a couple hundred thousand. This could translate to millions and billions. So that's yeah. why this tracking what you don't track, that's where you'll slack. You must track all these different uh, metrics so that you know if it's time to pivot is this a great opportunity to capture even more market share? Is this a great opportunity to reinvest in the company? Is this a great opportunity to stack money for a market acquisition? Like all these things come into play when it comes to measuring success. But when we're talking about product and um, product market fit, you have to know these metrics. This will make or break your business model. Indeed. So it's kind of interesting just to, like for those in whom much that are entrepreneurs or like for investors. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'll put it out there for you. So Jolene, you did a phenomenal job actually for the entrepreneur. So I don't really need to say very much there outside of this metric that you guys had seen on the screen. 
that's actually how you're you're significantly judged from early stage all the way up to like series D, series mm. well, series C, series D funding. You know, really, you know, what's your customer satisfaction rate look like? You know, what does the usage look like? You know, over time, when when you get to large law of large numbers, and of course, it starts to come down a little bit, and also other competitors step into the space. But then also revenue, like what is the revenue makeup as it pertains to based upon those metrics? Um, and then you nailed it specifically on those other sets. So when we look at this, you can use the same model for looking at it when you look at publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Like, for example, when we look at revenue, we normally get a target as it pertains to what the revenue is and guidance from companies. So when you receive that guidance from companies, okay, that's a metric. So now I set that metric. So if Apple says that they're going to bring in a hundred, they expect to bring in a hundred billion dollars in in revenue for the next quarter right then essentially they're going to give me a range between let's say 101 and 102 uh billion dollars of revenue which by the way 102 billion dollars of revenue hmm. all right so all right so then that's cool but then i start looking at all right well what is what is the percentage of upgrades like how many folks are still out there that need to upgrade like a lot of folks don't know you know there's a strong what is it 47 percent of folks out there that are still that are still potential upgrades from let's say if you're taking three cycles of phones back that could potentially upgrade to new phones mm -hmm. when i look at customer satisfaction okay customer satisfaction kind of lets me know like how many people are actually switching over to other android devices which will kind of like lead into the next slide in a second but you know <laughs> when we look at customer satisfaction that also tells us a huge amount of the story so which you know i guess there's no other way to really segment into it so i'll just Rip the bandaid off. <laughs> Remember the fallen. Oh, I just want, let's just, can we please have a moment of silence? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So remember the remember when you started hearing about all those articles way oh. back in like let's say 2010, where okay. we were talking about, oh, this is gonna be the next iPhone killer, or this is gonna be the iPhone killer. Oh and notice God. how one conversation of a company that just kind of like fell out of the conversation. And, it, and keep in mind, it had the one of the stickiest, you know, customer bases long before Apple iPhone, long before Android came along. Yeah. It was really the BlackBerry device. Mm -hmm. The BlackBerry device was widely used for folks that worked in government, that worked in enterprise, that worked across the board, and even just people that just used it as a standard phone. It was literally BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Let's think about this for a second. BlackBerry failed to understand the changing market <laughs> and customer preferences mm -hmm. and continue to focus on its traditional strengths, such as its keyboard design, its security features. Its security features was pretty lit. I mean, I ain't going to lie. I mean, I only had a BlackBerry once and I only had it for like a month and I just gave it away because it wasn't my thing. Um, and But, you know, the problem was about that was they were no longer as important to customers who were increasingly looking for touchscreens and everything in app-based experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, that's literally where BlackBerry failed. Mm. Like that, it, it literally started to fail. Um, and then when they try to get into the market as it pertains to touchscreen and try to keep those, those traditional features, it just wasn't of good use. So then at that point in time, when that's no longer a good use and you don't have anything else, that can literally give you significant product differentiation from the other major players now in the market, like Apple, Samsung, uh, Motorola at the time. Um, and I think you can add in Google and some of the other players. Um, that was huge. And yeah. it's like, it's not, it's not only just the BlackBerry that fell, 
I mean, no more Nextel phones. <laughs> yeah. No more. I mean, look at what happened to Motorola. Like Motorola, that was like a silent death. I mean, if you think about every Android device that came out was like a potential iPhone killer. Now we only really yeah. talk about the four Android devices. Dang, the market like shrank. But you know, I'm gonna be honest, man. The Motorola Razor phone had me in a chokehold. Okay, I used to love that phone, and that was just a regular old flip. I know. But, I mean, think about it like this: oh. Nokia's phones were the most durable phones on the market, mm -hmm. and they didn't survive. Mm -mm. Like, <laughs> like that's the crazy part. Like you had a lot, like HTC produced oh, great yeah. Android phones. Mm -hmm. They even came out with the first 4G phone. They didn't survive. So it just goes to show you like, you know, exactly how competitive it is in the space. And then on top of that, how, like, how ever changing the market was. And it really got to show you like, okay, hey, like who was really paying attention and was fully engaged and was willing to make that. And it's like, if you listen to a lot of the episodes that we've done now, I think we're at like week six or week seven now. I'm losing, I'm losing count. count. I'm losing count. Um, <laughs> uh, shout out to a cousin that can literally tell us what week we're in. Because honestly, I have no idea anymore. I feel like we're in um, week six. Yeah, so, uh, Levick said six. Okay. All right. So, you know, <laughs> so... I mean, when we think about those things, like, you know, if you look at some of the episodes from when we first started, like digital leadership, then on top of that, looking at, you know, managerial finance and all those other things, you're starting mm -hmm. to like really start to think about it. You can literally put together a strong thesis. Oh, no, I turned on the AI for my camera. This I is going to get <laughs> But yeah, so when you think about it, though, it's like you can literally just you can literally see like the lineage of going from the beginning to mm -hmm. where we are today. And if you have been paying attention, your thesis should be getting way more solid as it pertains to like, okay, hey, what do you think about publicly traded companies or even just companies, period? Okay, so let's talk about those iterations, right? Because, you know, every product has what is called an iteration cycle, like every product, every service. Um, so, you know, we typically talk about it in three different facets, right? We talk about it in feedback, direction, and benefit. Now, of course, I'm going to go in a little bit further, but you know, I'm just going to give you the quick gist of it. So customer feedback is crucial for improving any product or service. We know this. The direction. After you get feedback, decisions are made, just like Jolene had said, uh, for design upgrades and features or whatever it may be. And then on top of that, when we talk about the benefit, stay consistent, stay ahead of the competition, and, and, uh, and get increased market share. That's ultimately how you do it. You stay consistent and you stay you stay ahead of it. Um, so when we look at like using feedback, you know, you use it to inform product de development. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you get feedback from your customer base, that needs to come back into making those specific decisions as it pertains to like, okay, hey, where does the product go from here? So whether it's adding a feature or improving a design function, you know, those things are crucial. You know, that's the reason why if you normally, if for folks who watch YouTube a lot, like a lot of those products that you see out there, whether they're beauty products or technology products or whatever in between, and they have folks that are reviewers, those folks, those companies are sitting back and listening to that data. They're listening to the reviewer. They're listening to the reviewers because they speak like they speak to their to their constituents, a.k.a. their their subscribers or their audience. And then from there, they get feedback. And then if the company is paying attention, it's like mm, maybe we maybe we craft a bed here as it pertains to this feature, we need to remove this off and this is not gonna work out. You know, and a lot of times you see this at like shows like Consumer Electronics Show mm -hmm. or 
like at other places or you see them even at developer conferences for Google I.O., Microsoft, uh, Apple, a lot of them where they host their conferences and then they gather data from their developer communities as well as consumer, some consumer based communities, but mostly enterprise for like Microsoft. And then from there, they run it through tests and then it's like they get they gather data and then they say they make the final say so of, OK, do we push this product or do we put it on the shelf? Because sometimes you could be a little bit too ahead. And the market just isn't ready for it. Well, and that's- so Mark, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that the it's important to build your company and your product with feedback in mind. Because if you don't have a way to get the feedback, then all this is for naught. You're gonna yeah. you'll really get left behind. And someone yeah. else, another company, aka your competitor, will be the one with all the feedback and iterating. Because just as much as you're paying attention in those reviews your competitors are also watching as well. Whenever you, whenever a company releases a product or whenever a company is doing a developer conference or a product reveal, you know, trust and believe your competitors are also watching. They're in the room. <laughs> so like, for example, we've got competitors, they're watching. All right, so let's keep it simple in the, in the format of like, this is pretty much a product iteration cycle as it pertains to what we look at. Mm-hmm. So it's built upon three core functions, learn, build, measure. That's an ever going cycle. Every company will always learn. They will always build. And then they will, from that building, they will measure. And so what does that look like for, let's say a tech company, you know, learn, and then you gather, you put together ideas from that idea, you build the idea. And then from there it's built on code. Then after the code is done, you measure it by essentially looking at data. So you minimize the total time through the loop though. That's ultimately in which that you look forward to as it pertains to like product cycle, or a feature cycle, or whatever it may be, and even in service cycles. So iterating the product is like making improvements to a recipe based on customer feedback. So let's just say if I have a restaurant where I make fried jerk chicken, mm-hmm. I make fried jerk chicken, and then like I'm starting to get customer feedback that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, here we go, <laughs> if I make fried jerk chicken. And then essentially, let's just say that like somebody's saying that like I'm starting to get like feedback that the food is too salty. Now, not listening to my customer feedback would be like, oh, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. And the next thing you know, everybody is like face feels numb or like they literally feel sick after eating the fried chicken. Or they're dying from high cholesterol. (laughs) Like what? Right. If, If I notice that everybody's like asking for more and more water at their tables, that's a clear sign. Um, but if I literally pay attention, then I can literally adjust my recipes as I go along and then ultimately keep going. So this is what we call the lean startup model. There's a book by Eric Reese who wrote the book on, on, on lean startup uh, methodology. Um, it's a very good book for even if you don't have a startup, but if you just want to understand how iterations work or if you want to understand like how companies move. Because here's the interesting thing about what I just said here. Every company does exactly what I had just showed you on that screen. Can we pull that back up? Yeah. So every company runs off of this exact model. There is like, no matter how big you are, all big businesses started off small. And what they're going to do is they're always going to remain core to what makes the company profitable and successful. And when they first start off, this is one of the first things in which that they do. When from the moment that you build an MVP, AKA the minimal viable product and begins testing it, with the target market, the MVP is pretty much a basic version of the product that is designed to test the core value 
proposition and on top of that, validate the customer demand. That's all that it is when we think about MVP. And then as you get further, you measure in this phase after you collect the customer feedback and data. And then on top of that, then you move it on uh, to the other side of the table in which that you're able to learn from it and then formulate another idea. You know, the, each one of these phases are very much so crucial. You know, if you really think about it, like this is what remains like a, now start thinking about it differently when you look at, you know, companies that are like growth companies or companies that are value based companies. You know, one of the interesting things that we look at is some companies are just still going to just con consistently create cash. They're going to be cash cows. But then what happens when the market changes? Will they change? Will they learn to change it? Or will they just stay, you know, tried and true to who they are? Again, we're moving into a phase where we're probably going to start seeing it's now survival of the fittest. And when you start seeing a survival of the fittest, then that pretty much means that we're getting it ready to go into a next major iteration cycle of products and services. So, which leads us into the next phase, which is product uh, or marketing and promotion. And so let's just get the basics out of the way, shall we? Mm -hmm. So pretty much it's just the process of creating and executing a plan to reach the target market and generate demand for the product. That's it. So it's literally like, okay, hey, telling people a story, like some of the greatest, the greatest marketers are the best storytellers and they know how to illustrate or they just know how to present the story. Well, that's it. You know, the role uh, of you know, marketing and promotion is crucial for reaching the target market and generating demand for the product. The channels in which that you use can be used for social media, email, influencing, influencer marketing, however it is that you decide to do it mm -hmm. uh, or whatever you feel like that fits, that gives you the best pathway. I, I shouldn't say whatever fits, but whatever gives you the best pathway based upon where your target customer is and what they pay attention to. And then on top of that, targets. It is important to tailor the marketing message to the target market to effectively reach and engage them. So it's not a one size fits all where it's like this strategy because of the fact that it worked for Facebook means that it's going to work for you or because of the fact that it worked for Google and Amazon means that it's going to work for you. That's not how it works. Which we're in the final slides of our presentation, which is consumer engineering. Mm. Now, it's kind of interesting because of the fact that a lot of times when I talk about consumer engineering to folks, many times people don't know <laughs> what it is. And it's kind of like the hidden message that, you know, what they didn't want the people to know. <laughs> like, so when we think about consumer engineering, it's a branch of engineering that focuses on designing and developing products and services that meets the needs and preferences of its consumers. It's multidisciplinary. So it can go from engineering, psychology, marketing and design. So like it's all intertwined. So when you think about like how iPhones are created, there's psychology behind it. You know, every single product that you see, there's some form of psychology that was created. Yes, Andre said it correct. It's just like social engineering, exactly like that. Now it's like, you know, just think about it like this, all the phones, all the devices that we get, like mm -hmm. notice like the products that we used to buy, Jolyn, mm -hmm. that were way more durable and everything else and long lasting versus the products that are today. They don't really last that long, but yet you're kind of like paying the same price. And if you think about like the average person, out there, like 60% of the stuff that they buy is 60% of the stuff that they don't need. They just buy it only for that one time and then essentially they're done with it. And we got into a place in consumer engineering where essentially companies know that. Mm. So they know that you're going to go buy X amount of the things on Amazon. They know that they're going to do this. And it's like the stuff that like, you know, they're also, they're trading it for the type of quality that they put in their products. Now, some companies, they focus on still high quality. But at the same token, high quality equates to taking a time, especially if your supply chain and logistics isn't that strong. That's a good point. But so, for example, you may think that what you're getting into like, so here's a question that I'm going to ask, Jolyn, since you brought up coach earlier. What did I bring up earlier? Oh, coach, go ahead. 
coach. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the products of coach today versus mm -hmm. the products of coach before, like years, years ago, mm -hmm. which product do you think is actually better? Oh, now that's an interesting question, because I guess it would depend on the materials used. Um, mm -hmm. So when I think about the products that they have currently, well, they're popular products. You have like the puff um, satchel and mm -hmm. another popular product would be the heart shape purse. Now, Coach actually has a better quality of leather than yep. some of these other um, higher luxury brands like LV, for example. Um, LV yep. uses a coated canvas. So if we're looking at that, I would say that the products prior way back in the day, or I wouldn't call it way back in the day, it's not like it was that long ago. <laughs> They're known, they were known for like their leather goods. So I'm gonna say the products yep. back then are a higher quality. Um, but what the, if I was to tell you that all products uh -huh. created back then are better. are better than the products that are created today? Well, it makes sense like, with the engineering. <laughs> like look at all the look, like look at the food that we used to eat growing up. Yeah. Like look at all the snack foods that we used to eat. Have you ever like had a food uh, a snack that you ate back in the day and then you tried it today and you were like, "This is trash. What am I eating? This doesn't remind me of childhood. This just reminds me of just nothing but bad decisions." Yeah, because <laughs> like, they changed the formula. Right. But why do you think that they had to change the formula? Well, one, they can get away with it. Yeah. That's number one. And then two, what you're talking about this um, consumer engineering. I mean, if, if all <laughs> oh, of people are about to be so mad at me as soon as I say this. OK, go ahead. They had to cut costs. Yeah. In order to get like so, for example, a 30, let's say a $30 jacket or a $150 jacket back in the day is mm -hmm. not the same as a $150 jacket in today's market. I think that's how much my starter jacket was, my Charlotte Hornet starter jacket. I so, want to say it was about like 150 the, so, back then. So in order to keep it 150 today, just think about all the think about all the corners that they're going to have to cut in mm -hmm. order to essentially keep it at that same price. Yeah. And it's like think about like how fast like iterations like think about how fast like they're trying to get people to upgrade on things. Mm -hmm. Like that's something to also pay attention to because back in the day iPhone didn't release an iPhone every year. No, they didn't. <laughs> but, but now, now they release the phone every single year mm -hmm. and they recycle you know, it's kinda, pieces they recycle it they mm -hmm. recycle it and have the now, same price or a little higher so again it's like you know and and shout outs to tunde he also hit it on the head where he said you know tunde. profit mm -hmm. profit's also a major part to it when you cut costs on certain things and ultimately you're going to save and that's kind of like a thing like the, I, I challenge everybody to look up consumer engineering and look at its origins of how it got started Mm -hmm. I could go into a whole lesson on that, um, but I'll, I'll keep it simple. So let's talk about it real quick. So consumer engineering leads to products that are more likely to be adopted by the target market, uh, resulting in increased uh, customer satisfaction and loyalty. So they know that they've already got you as loyal and everything else. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's like this is how they construct it. Now, of course, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just you know the guy that's just trying to share the information with you. <laughs> so, of course... At the top of the head, profit mm -hmm. first. Emphasis on profit can lead to a lack of focus on social responsibility and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Manipulation. <laughs> Somebody had also said that. Can manipulate customers into buying things they don't need or want. Now, that's like a, the general population of most of your average consumers where they buy 60% of stuff that they don't need, but they think that they need it because of the fact that the consumer, how it was engineered and marketed, made you feel like you needed it. Mm -hmm. um and we've all done that so it's not mm -hmm. like you know it's like okay hey like an us versus them everybody has fallen victim to that you know think about all those rappers out there that felt like they needed to have to go buy the car buy all this jewelry and all this other stuff 
versus just putting their money into a, creating a you know a 401k or creating a trust and everything else. See, it's just different. All right. And then when we think about consumerism can lead to a cycle of constantly needing to consume, which can have environmental and social impacts, which we're already seeing now. And then, of course, bias can perpetuate biases and reinforce social inequalities, which we have seen. You know, mm -hmm. there was an argument years ago where people had scrutinized Apple, where they were talking about it really separates the haves from the have nots based upon price point. Now, to Apple's credit, they've done a great job as it pertains to creating multi-tiered facets of their products. So that way they try to provide something for everybody. And you see this on behalf of everybody. Um, but if you really think about it, it's like, are the, com are the custom, are the consumers really getting something really new in that tier? Or is it just the fact that somebody, that it's just a recycled phone. And then essentially it's like, we just created it as a low tier. I don't know. One, one just has questions. So, which leads us into scaling and this is our final slide. All right. So, you know, when we look at scaling, it's pretty much like growing a tree from a seed. You know, that's literally when you think about scale. And if you think about the process as it pertains to taking something from, let's say, uh, a seed all the way to its a tree form phase, think about like a company from a startup all the way to a publicly traded company or getting acquired. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think about it from the stamp simple standpoints of three points, expanding into new markets and or adding new product offerings to reach a larger market and increase revenue. So this is one of the major parts that what a lot of companies do where they start off from MVP and when they realize that, okay, hey, we're on to something, but we want to appeal to a larger market, then essentially that they will make some type of iteration, they'll make some type of iterative changes. And then of course, scaling is only possible after finding product market fit. So just remember that. If you do not have product market fit, then you will never scale. Or if you do scale, you'll lose money. <laughs> you won't be I, I, I want to I want to run that back for people so mm -hmm. that way they can understand this. Whether it's like uh, whether you're publicly traded or you're a startup, I want people to understand this. You cannot have scale if you do not have product market fit. So if your company or if your product or service does not ever fit the market, if it doesn't find a way to like literally become sticky or sustainable within the marketplace, then honestly, there you stand no chance of scaling at all. It's never going to happen. So. Focus on product market fit first. And the thing is, like for publicly traded companies, focus on what is it that their product market fit is also. And does that product market fit still apply? Because as we just said, markets tend to change. And what you're seeing right now is the markets are also starting to change. And it typically happens around economical times. You know, when economics, when the economics change, then it will also change the business, aka layoffs are taking place, aka new ideas are coming forth. AKA AI is now here and it's also making people a little nervous. All right. So let's finish off the final point in this presentation and then we're going to wrap it up. So that way everybody can go to dinner or go to bed. All right. So the, the third and final thing is balance growth and profitability when scaling as rapid growth without profitability can be unsustainable in the long term. So after a certain point in time, like, and the best example that I can use there is look at meta, you know, if you look at what Meta did, like early on, Meta had gained such large valuations, but yet they weren't driving, they weren't a profitable company and everything else. Mm -hmm. But what they did over a period of time is they started focusing more so on the profit. And when you become a company of that stature and when you're looking to go into that next level, because you can also scale as a public, we see it many times where companies that are even publicly traded, they go through moments of scale. And that's exactly what Facebook did, where they started hitting large amounts of growth. And what did they do? They also acquired their way into it, which is nothing wrong with it. It's part of the game. 
Um, but they acquired part of it and then they also built certain things. And then it also allowed them to turn on the revenue drivers for them to essentially increase profitability. We saw the same thing happen with Amazon. Once when they stopped, like they were, I think Amazon technically was always a profitable company. I think that they just chose not to report as profitable because they chose to essentially invest only into the business. But when they started re realizing that they've reached a critical mass of user base, or when they started realizing they're reaching a critical mass as it pertains to the business, then what they did was they said, okay, hey, we can turn down these levers. And when we turn down the levers, there's cash there. So you're going to see profit. Mm. And you're starting to see the same thing take place with Amazon today, where you're starting to see mm, levers are levers. They're, they're focusing on something. We don't technically know what it is yet, but then as they turn on, the, as they start turning down the levers when they reach a certain a certain mass, then you'll start to see what happens: profit increases. So something as a little trick for those in whom which that were uh, truly paying attention. Hopefully, you understand that. But that's a major, that's a major, major, major uh, secret that a lot of times companies don't like tell you off the bat is that when they go into investment mode, they expect profitability to essentially come down. They already know that it is. How do you know? They start buying back stock and all that other stuff and increasing dividends just to soften the blow. But then after that, after they reach a certain point in time, when they've when they perfected something, OK, you'll start to see they don't buy as much stock back and they don't their dividends aren't like aren't that heavy. Why? Because, again, they're in profit mode. So their profits should ultimately uh, show you and ultimately they're, they're turn, returning value on equity. So that's something to, to definitely pay attention to. And ultimately, I hope that that was uh beneficial for each and every single one of you at home i hope that you took copious notes i always like to see what people's notes look like so if you can post them on social media and tag uh run the tag uh hashtag the come up series um but i hope that you guys had some strong value thank you guys so much jolyn got any final words you know i would say um on stay tuned to the come up series um because yes. we have a new show on thursday Mm -hmm. And you want to tune in for that. I know you all saw Monday show with Lawrence. So cool, cool, cool. Um, but then also March, we have a lot of different things coming out as well. Mm -hmm. So you just, you know, your whole evening, maybe a come up every single night. We'll see. <laughs> that would be dope. That would be dope. So, and you never know, maybe an animated series. <laughs> Which, you know, wanted to know what everybody thought about the characters that were ultimately produced. Uh, if you like them, go ahead and, you know, smash the like button um, and give us your thoughts in the comment section down below. And if you have questions in the comments go ahead, or if you have questions, go ahead and write them down below and we'll try to see if we can engage in them. And if you're at LinkedIn uh, and you've got questions, go ahead and just, you know, write the question in the Come Up Series page. So the Come Up Series actually has a page on LinkedIn where you can find it. Just type in the Come Up Series and you'll find it. But hopefully, like I said, we return value to each and every single one of you the people. And until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jolene GC in the place to be. And this has been your come up, aka Executive Education. Class dismiss, y'all. <laughs>